Well, good morning. Good to see everyone here. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. If you open your bulletin there to page seven, you'll see our scripture for this morning. As you've noticed by now, we are beginning a new series. And before I read our text, just a brief word about this series. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that it is our um, desire and our vision to always want to preach through a book of the Bible, for example, such as Luke that we did in the spring. And the reason we do that is for several reasons, but a, a few of those is one that we could study a book together in its own context, right? Uh, but also we do that so that scripture picks the topics for the day, so to speak. And you don't have to hear about mine or Pastor Darwin's pet topics every Sunday. Uh, we let scripture speak to us. But from time to time, we'll do a topical study, which is what we are going to begin this morning and throughout the summer on the Apostles' Creed. And so I just want to highlight that as we uh, dive into that as sort of an introduction to our summer series on the Apostles' Creed, uh, that while many of you all who have been with us know that we traditionally go through a book of the Bible, this will be a little different this summer, and it's a good thing. We, uh, we need to go through this creed, uh, and I think that you'll be uh, enriched and blessed because of that. So... Having gotten that out of the way, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be reading from the book of Hebrews, James, and Exodus here on page 7 of your bulletin. From Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And from James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And then in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 to 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So the word of our Lord. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come before you uh, this morning, as we hear from your word, we pray that you would help us, that you would teach us your word by your spirit. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears so that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. Uh, Would you do that for your glory, uh, your glory alone? We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you're into taking notes there on your bulletin, I'm going to make one small edit. We will be looking at why study the creed at first. We will also be looking at that second point of what it means and doesn't mean to say that I believe. The third point will be a little different uh, due to time. Um, so I'll forewarn you of that. Uh, but we'll, that third point will essentially act as a conclusion. Where does this statement of faith come from? Um, and we'll address the rest of that wonderful outline in the weeks to come, okay? So just if you're into taking notes, don't be alarmed when we don't get to that part of the, the sermon. If you've been or if you've grown up in the church uh, and you had to sort of say there's a part of Sunday Christian worship that uh, you are, that, 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 that you say the church is most familiar with, you would probably have to say, or at least a good argument could be made, that the Apostles' Creed is that portion of Sunday worship. Music, of course, from church to church is going to change. Um, 
sermons certainly change what, what, what churches decide to preach about. Even the Lord's Supper, um, while we often stick with bread and wine, can be varied uh, from time to time. And even its frequency can be different. But what has stood the test of time, at least uh, since, uh, since the early church began, both Catholic and Protestant, has been the Apostles' Creed. Um, now, also at the same time, uh, if you're like me and if you remember growing up saying this creed, it, it is so uh, second nature uh, that you might find yourself just sort of going through the motions at time, finding that the creed is something that seems so mechanical and even bringing to the question, why would we even do this? Why do we still say this thing today? What is the point of the creed in the church, let alone an entire summer series on it? Uh, this year. So why study the creed? Um, I want us to think about creeds in general, but the Apostles' Creed specifically, as you would a map. Think about a map, if you will. I know this will be hard for some who uh, only use GPS, but there used to be these things called maps that were paper, and you would fold them out and look at them on a table. And let's just, for the sake of our context, think about a map of the great state of Texas. Right? And, and if you're looking at that map, what, what, what is that map really but a distilled version of the real thing, right? It is, if you will, the bare essentials of what is most important of how to get from A to B. At the same time, no one would ever confuse this map of Texas as being all that Texas is, right? There is more in and to the state of Texas than a map could ever show or communicate, yet the map is still useful and at times necessary for navigating this great state. Well, this is how I want us to think about the Apostles' Creed. And this is how it functions with relation to the Bible. The creed is a distilled version of the real thing of Scripture. It is the bare essentials, if you will, that don't just get you from A to B, but actually they remind us of what B really is in the first place, our destination, where we are going, and what this whole Christianity thing is about. And I'll come back to this need for a map later, but that's why creeds are important and one of the many reasons we will be studying it this summer. A second reason we will be studying the Apostles' Creed is because whether we are aware of it or not, we are a creed people, and I don't mean fans of the band, okay? Thanks to the 10 people who understand what I'm saying. (laughs) We love creeds today, and we live by them every second of the day, whether we are aware of it or not. Let me just name a couple for you. Uh, The phrase YOLO, right, which means you only live once. That is a creed, right? Just do it or live strong, right? Those are creeds. Live your truth or you do you, right? Creeds. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's a creed. Go to any mission statement or look, on, look to any engraved writing on any higher learning institution, university, or college, and you will see a creed there. What it is that we're about and what we're living for. Go to any gym and you'll read the words, no pain, no gain. That is a creed and you get the point, right? We are not a culture void of creeds. In fact, we love them, right? We almost can't live without them. And guess what? Every modern day creed that is just mentioned, wait for it, is a map. And it is taking you somewhere. And it is defining reality for you. 
It is a distilled version of what is most true in your life. And dare I say, it is the bare essentials of getting you from A to B of what this life is all about for you at any given moment. Now, I am not suggesting at all that we drop all of these pseudo creeds. They can be helpful and they can certainly serve a purpose. But my point is that while the creed, while the word creed often conjures up the idea of some old, outdated, prehistoric, irrelevant document that would serve only to confine and to limit or to cage in potential and unfulfilled life, we live off of a thousand creeds today. Hashtag blessed, right? So what's the point? Well, if we're going to be and are already a people of the creed, are we aware of what those creeds are? Are we aware of where those creeds are taking us? Are we aware of how they are shaping our reality? And what effect they might have on scripture's view of reality for us? See, what we need is a map of reality. That puts every other creed in context and place. And for the church, for 2,000 years, the Apostles' Creed has done that. The Apostles' Creed has its roots in the very letters of the New Testament. First emerging in part in the first and second century as martyrs went to their death confessing what it is that they believe. Now, as we will say over and over again... And let this not be the, the last time. Creeds are not inspired, nor are they p- on par with Scripture as revelation. Let me be clear about that, right? Rather, all creeds, the Apostles' Creed for sure, aim to be a statement of truth that comes from Scripture. And over the summer, we will be giving more and more background to the Apostles' Creed, which I think is important. But for our time this morning, let me give you two conditions to sort of round out this introduction that precipitated the need for a creed in the first place, why we are going to study it this summer, and why it is still important to us today. The first, the first condition in which the creed came out of was that of the growth of the early church. Some of you historians are very aware of this, but for lack of a better phrase, Christians were popping up everywhere after and because of the death and resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the geographical distance alone, uh, especially as the gospel went to the, quote, ends of the earth, necessitated some type of formal statement belief of belief. You have to remember that nobody had a Bible at this point in time. And so to offer some type of distilled version of the story itself of the truth was very helpful and important to everyone. But we don't need to use our imaginations as we study the letters that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia or in Ephesus or Philippi to realize the challenges of communicating what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And perhaps more importantly, what is it that I need to do to be saved? It's believe. It's believe. Paul spends most of his time correcting right doctrine and letting people know that this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come to save sinners and all you have to do is believe in him. And that is the first words of the Apostles' Creed. How much more as the church grows throughout the world today? This is the first condition, the first condition, the growth, the the expansion of the early church in the first and second centuries because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But a second condition that also needs to be in the back of our minds as to why this thing showed up in the first place was because of those wonderful heretics that we love to read about. The emergence of heresies, not outside the church, 
but inside the church. In this way, the creed acted as a response to the many opposing voices of Christianity. You might say it acted as a statement of faith for Christians. No doubt many of you who grew up in the church have probably heard people say in response to the church, I know I did, we don't need creeds. The only creed we need is scripture. Or perhaps the phrase, no creed but Christ, rings in the back of your ears. I know, I think I might have even had a t-shirt that said that at one point. No creed but Christ. But that sounds good at first, right? But as we begin to sort of unpack that statement, the assumption there is that your definition of Christ is the same as mine, right? And at this point that we, we must say, great, but what Christ are you believing in? What Christ is it that you mean? And for this is the question that the early church was faced with in exactly the context in which the creed emerged. Dare I say it, it is the same today, right? We just need to open our phones and get on the internet or perhaps look at the newspapers, right? And see and listen to a thousand versions of the term evangelical to recognize that, that perhaps not all of us are evangelical, or maybe I don't even want to claim that word anymore, what it means to be a Christian, right? Words matter. They get us out of ourselves and they clarify what it is that we believe, such as a statement of faith. And we see this in the early church as these heresies were coming up uh, first and foremost, the heresy of Gnosticism, which was a, a belief that the body or the material things were bad, right? And that it was the spiritual things, the knowledge that was good. Marcion was one of the most well-known uh, promoters of Gnosticism that grew up in the church. Gnosticism promoted a secret knowledge that secured your way to God and denied Christ's true humanity, Gnosticism almost ended the Christian movement in the first two centuries, making it crucial for the church to respond. And they did respond. One of the early church fathers, fathers, Irenaeus of Lyons, wrote a book titled, wait for it, Against Heresies. We're not holding any punches here. We're going right at it. And in this book that he wrote in 180 AD, emerged such writings and the need to speak of Christ's, quote, incarnation for our salvation. And it's why later the phrase born of the Virgin Mary, as well as, quote, the resurrection of the body, become part of the creed itself. See, words matter, friends. It matters what our terms are. And this is where the creed emerges. We say the phrase born of the Virgin Mary and the resurrection of the body, perhaps in our sleep if we have grown up in the church because of the creed. But Gnosticism is just as alive and well today as it was 2,000 years ago. The church, in many ways, not just, not just those outside the church, downplay the body, right? We reject this incarnational relationship for the hopes of receiving some knowledge that will change us, right? How many of us settle for consuming information on the internet or social media from people whom we will never meet have any intention of meeting, nor do we want to sit down and talk with them? But we want to get the knowledge, right? We want to get the information. Next thing you know, we're going to be settling for, for a church that just projects some pastor preaching on a TV screen. Wait a minute. The idea there is that I can come into this place, and, and we're not too far off from that even in our own circles, that I can come into this place and just hear the sermon and then leave 
and never once meet somebody, talk with that person, sit down and have lunch with them, engage incarnationally. Yeah, Gnosticism is still around and in many different shapes and forms. And it's one of the reasons why the creed is still so important and perhaps maybe even more so why our hearts still need a map of reality. And this is why we want to study this creed this, this summer. So the growth of Christianity and the need to respond to the heresies in the church demanded the statement of faith, a creed, if you will. But what should that statement of faith say? And this gets to our second point, which is a great transition to the creed itself and its first words, I believe. What does that even mean? But more importantly, what does the Bible mean when it asks me to believe? The author of Hebrews, as we read earlier, says that without faith, it is impossible to please him, referring to God. Yet later in James, he says that you believe that God is one. That's great. Even demons believe. What are we supposed to do with that? What does that mean to believe? And more importantly, what does the Bible mean when it asks us to believe? The creed is going to be our map of reality, our distilled version of truth. We must not begin with the creed, right? And then go to scripture. We must begin with scripture and therefore then go to the creed. In scripture, the terms belief and faith are not identical, but they are similar. Suffice it to say that the word belief historically has always dealt with uh, reason and cognition, right? Actually, one of the best definitions that seems to be uh, floating across the church for the word belief is opinion. And the phrase, I believe it might rain today, right? In that sense. That is, given the weather report that you saw and the, the uh, elements outside, uh, the evidence suggests that it might rain. And therefore, you believe that it will. But it's cognitive and that your reason is convinced due to the evidence. Faith, however... And scripture encompasses more than just belief. It is after I have reasoned through this, I am now giving myself to something. Faith is belief, but it's also trust, right? It is commitment. It is response. The act of giving one's life over to something once they believe. Let me try to illustrate both of these and how they work because they, they, they tend to be used synonymously. But it would be good for us to understand the differences. My mom had some knee surgery done several years ago. Maybe this is true for you in this room as well, so you'll understand. Um, and if you were to sit down and talk with her about the process of going through uh, this knee surgery that she had, uh, the, the conversation would go something like this. First, my mom did quite a bit of research, right? Uh, research on the knee itself, on the procedure, on the doctors. Um, I come to find out, not all doctors are the same, right? Uh, she had consultations with those doctors to hear about how and uh, uh, hear how things were going to go about and, and what the procedure would be. And once she had done all this research, though, there was time for her to put that surgery on the calendar, right? And to actually show up and give herself over to those doctors who would perform that surgery. And what does this have to do with belief and faith? Well, everything. See, all of the research and the consultations that my mom did beforehand led her to the belief, right? The cognitive satisfaction that this particular doctor and this procedure was best. In other words, it satisfied her reason. It made the most sense. But at any time, someone could have called her and said, look, Mary Beth, you're crazy to go with that doctor. You need to go with my doctor, Dr. Cruz, who did my knee surgery last year. He's the best. It's opinion. It is subjective. 
It isn't until the day of actual surgery, though, where faith comes into it, as Scripture speaks of it, where mom's belief, as it were, leads her to the point where she trusts and gives herself over in response to these doctors, to the procedure itself. Now, the creed adopts this language in its opening phrase, I believe in God the Father Almighty. The same language that scripture uses, which literally means that I believe into God. I give myself over to this God. I commit my life to this God. And when I do this, my reason is satisfied based on the research and evidence. And my life takes the shape of commitment and trust to this God, much like those doctors. See, we tend to think of faith in our culture as measurable quantity, for example. That if I were, that I just, you know, we said the phrase, I just need more faith. As if we could go to the store and pick up a few cans and take it down that afternoon. Get our volumes of faith filled up. Or we think of faith as quality, right? I need to believe in the right things. But that is nothing more than having faith in your faith. The biblical understanding of faith is belief in someone that you commit yourself to and trust, regardless of how you feel at any given time. Why? Because biblical faith has and is all about an object of faith. And that is Jesus Christ. This is who I'm giving myself over to in response. Not my feelings about faith or lack thereof. It is trust in someone. And the church historically has always used a certain word for this that sometimes it it gets us in the wrong way. And that is the word orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means right opinion or belief. Ortho means straight. And you will go to the orthodontist to have your teeth straightened. I promise you, you'll never forget the word orthodoxy now after hearing that. And while Christianity puts a lot of emphasis on orthodoxy, a lot of other religions, most major religions, put their emphasis on the word orthopraxy, right practice. Why? Because at the core of the Christian faith, it isn't right living that gets you to God. It is the belief in the right person that gets you to God. This is why the creeds emerged. This is why belief is so much a part of the Christian faith, more so than anything else. Because it is how you get to God that matters in this faith, which is through belief, not through practice. Biblical faith has an object of faith, and that is what I am believing into. Now, of course, at the same time, I can believe all day long in something and never give myself over to it. I can go around town saying that so-and-so doctor is the best and never once give myself over to his or her hands. This is why James says in chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one. That is fantastic. Even the demons believe. Belief in and of itself is never the measure for Scripture and thus for the Christian. Lots of people believe. What is required, though, is faith as response. To God, a trusting, a giving myself over, a believing into God so that my life begins to reflect the reality of the forgiveness of sins, the reality of the resurrection of the body, or the thi- et cetera, and all the other things that the creed speaks of. I am no longer just believing things about this God, which many of us use the creed for. Many think, well, it's just something we say. It's just something that we you know, go through the motions with. But this That is not scripture nor the creed's intention. 
when we do give ourselves over, when we do believe into God as the creed guides us, we've been handed, get ready for it, another map. A map of reality. A map of reality that shows us the landscape or story of Scripture all over again. One that says, I give myself over to God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was born of Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, ascended from the grave and sits now at the right hand of God, the father almighty. But that's not it. That's not all. I also give myself over to the story of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or universal church. I'm not alone. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting, it is a beautiful map because it's true. And it's true because it comes from the source of truth, which is scripture. People complain about creeds as confining or caging us in with irrelevant, outdated dogma. But step inside the world of the Apostles' Creed for just a minute with me. And you'll find, as Peter Kreft writes, that creeds free us into the outdoors. And into the real world where the winds of heaven whip around our heads. In other words, plant your flag with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And and you will have a world of endless possibility, imagination, and adventure. Plant your flag with live your truth and you will never get out of the driveway. And here's why. Because your creed has to speak of something bigger than yourself. Your creed, if you're going to believe into something, that something has to be way bigger than yourself. If not, I might believe in something, but only as far as what? I can control it. Instead of giving my life over to it. And for some of us here this morning, that's as far as we are willing to go with this thing called Christianity. As far as I can control it. As far as I can control my life, as far as I can control my money and my resources, as far as I can control the forgiveness that I'm to give to towards others, as far as I can control the reality in which I live, my time, everything, right? The creed, though, guides us away from that reality, which is built on fear, and it leads us into a reality built on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So I might finish this second point with the question, how big is the God that you are believing into this morning? It's a question the creed asks because it's a question that scripture places before us every single day. How big is that God? What does commitment to this God truly look like for you? Or are you just going through the motions? This will be one of the questions that we seek to answer this summer. Well, we need a definition or belief of faith. We need orthodoxy. We need a creed. And and this one sets that before us in the opening line before we go any further. But there's something else going on here in this creed when we say that I believe in God the Father Almighty that we need to look at before we close. And this is where I'll end our time this morning. If we say that I believe in God the Father Almighty, where does that statement about God come from. I don't have much time to elaborate, but suffice it to say that the truths of scripture as the creed lays out are not self-evident truths that we proclaim 
or that man somewhere long ago conjured up somewhere. Rather, and this is crucial for our series moving forward, these statements are statements of self-disclosure. And not self-disclosure from myself or from you. They are self-disclosure from God himself. J.I. Packer puts it this way, that the Christian faith only begins when we attend to God's self-disclosure in Christ and in Scripture. In other words, like Scripture, the creed only affirms that which God has revealed to us in the first place in his word. Therefore, anything that we know or that we say about God has not come from man himself, but from God. He is the one who must reveal himself to us. One scholar illustrates it this way. He says, when we want to know or understand something that is, quote, less than ourselves, such as a rock or a flower, right? We are the active and it is passive in that discovery, when has a flower ever told you about the wonderful process of photosynthesis? Right? Never. But if we want to know and understand something, quote unquote, equal to ourselves, right? Like another human being, we must both act. And we get that. Right? That's relationship. Now, when you want to know something that is greater than yourself, God, for example, the initiative, the author writes, quote, must be his God must reveal himself to us. Now, why is this important this morning? And why is it important moving forward? It is important because it means that the world we live in, the true reality that the map speaks of, will always be beyond reason for us. And it will always and should be mysterious. We'll come back to this in the coming weeks when we talk about the Trinity, for example. But if you are looking to the creed as a tool to exhaust truth, if you're looking to run off mystery as you enter these doors on Sunday, Christianity will always frustrate you. And the creed will always continue to be irrelevant and outdated. Why? Because the creator of the universe, God, the Father Almighty, is asking to dine with you. He's asking you to enter his world. And this is what we do every time we open up scripture, the world that he has made, not as you and I see it, which is is always the challenge as we enter these doors. And I need to hear that personally this morning and be reminded of that, that it's okay even to believe in what Paul, who only has the words visible and invisible to use to describe such realities. I almost feel like I need permission today to believe that. It's okay. You can believe it. You're not dumb or stupid for believing those things. You're actually more in tune with reality if you do, according to scripture. As one scholar puts it, your job is not to account for this truth, right? Your job is to be accountable to it. Why? Because God has condescended to us, friends. God has come down in the body of Jesus. He has given us his word. He has revealed himself to us. He has made himself known to a stiff-necked people, to quote Exodus. And in his grace and his mercy, he has not left us. He has revealed himself to us and has given us all that we need in his word. If we're going to say yes to this God then and give ourselves over to him and depend on his self-disclosure to us as found in scripture and as as represented in the creed itself, we are going to have to show up here ready to embrace and live within the mysterious. 
to live in the true reality of, I don't have everything figured out and that is okay. To live in the world of, I don't feel like I'm in control. That's good because you're not. It's not your world that we are entering into. It is his. Can you embrace that mystery? Sort of how a flower might embrace or must embrace the mystery and the complexity and the confusion of a human being who had been down and smelled the roses. Are you willing to do that this summer? And it is simply the invitation that I have for you this day to come back and to listen to more of what this creed might have to say to us. And maybe for some of you, it will be for the first time. That is great. Come back and listen, but know which world you are entering into. For others, you might be asking, what does the creed have to say to this world that seems to have rejected God? That's a great question. And we could make arguments and spend hours discussing what the age of the church is today, right? Is this the age of cynicism? Is this the age of hyper-individualism? Are we in an age of individual expression which trumps the idea of absolute truth? And what about the age of science? Hasn't that even made religion um, you know, extinct? And as you listen to these phrases, some of you might even find this disheartening. But I find it extremely exciting, exhilarating even. What better time for the church to both profess in here and to share out there its map of reality. Not as something that we we would have created ourselves or put the finishing touches on in a back room somewhere, but as something that has been revealed to us by God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Is your God big enough for the age that we find ourselves in. Would your creed agree with that? Whatever it might be this morning, I invite you to come back and look forward to learning with you and looking at perhaps afresh this ancient document that serves as a roadmap of reality for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your truth and your word and the ways that you have made your word known throughout the ages. We pray now that as we come to your table, that you will meet with us as you invite us to dine with you. And that this picture of forgiveness and invitation of relationship would serve more as of a map of reality than anything that we might find ourselves a part of or believing when we leave these doors this, this afternoon. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.